In this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about why Kodai influenced music teaching is dead. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarvin, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Okay, so maybe that introduction was a little bit of a clickbait because if you know anything about me, obviously I don't believe that Kodai-influenced music education is dead by any 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 way because if you know anything about me I just finished my master's in music education with an emphasis in Kodai pedagogy and while I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Kodai is the end-all be-all of music education I will say that there are a lot of pieces that I have latched onto that I think are so pivotal and so important in just creating your own musical method. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions about Kodai-influenced education and kind of give my own two cents. And while we're here, I want to tell you this is my own two cents. This is not the opinion of anyone except for me. But I think it's important for us to look through education in a critical lens, especially when it comes to Kodai-influenced music education. When I started doing my master's coursework in Kodai, I had some interesting conversations with some other educators that you know had different misconceptions about Kodai. And I'll be honest, these are ones that I've heard a lot. I have heard that, you know, Kodai is elitist. I've heard that, you know, Kodai influenced education is only singing. And I've heard that Kodai music education and Kodai, Kodai influenced teaching is all folk songs all the time. And I'll be honest, some of these I've had to unlearn as I've gone through my levels training, as I finished my master's. So I want to first talk about why I latched on to Kodai-influenced teaching in the first place. So I've never been super, you know, (laughs) I've never tried to hide the fact that I never thought that I would be an elementary music teacher. I always thought I would be the next great high school choir director. And then I went to undergrad and realized that that was not what I wanted in the slightest. Thankfully, not long after I observed a high school teacher and realized this was not the world for me, about a week or so later, I observed an elementary music classroom that completely changed my life. This teacher was is an amazing elementary music educator, and she actually went through the Kodai Masters at Capitol, where I just finished my, cap, my, my master's in education years before I even started. The amount of joy that I was able to see in the classroom really made everything make sense to me. And I'm not saying that you can only have joy in a Kodai classroom, but the way that everything was sequenced and the way that everything, you know, led into each other was something that I've latched onto and I took with me into my early career. We all know that when you start teaching, you are kind of making it all up as you go. So when I went into my first year of teaching and I get, you know, finally get my first classroom, I realized that I was given really no curriculum. I basically had the state standards and I had to create lessons for pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and a self-contained classroom. And we were on a three-day rotation. So I feel like I was constantly making lesson plans. Thankfully, I was able to spend some time before my first year of teaching 
kind of diving into a little bit of the Kodai method just within podcasts and, you know, reading books, but not anything super specific, you know, no, no master's coursework or anything like that. And that's where I fell in love with the sequential nature of Kodai influenced teaching and that, that everything is leading to something else and everything will be used in kind of that spiral curriculum that Brunner was talking about in his writings that really made it make a lot of sense to me. I quickly latched onto the idea of preparing and presenting and practicing rhythmic and melodic and other concepts in my lessons. And that has really allowed me to move through my curriculum at a much more specific and purposeful way rather than, all right, this is kindergarten. What are we doing in kindergarten in September? I was able to kind of look at it a little bit more broad picture, zoom out a little bit and kind of take the concepts that I wanted them to know by the end of year and figure out, all right, what order do these need to be in? I'll be honest, my first year of teaching, I followed a curriculum map that was a quote-unquote Kodai-influenced curriculum map, and there were parts of it that I absolutely loved, and there were parts of it that I will never do again, <laughs> because what I, I think it's really important, and Amaleski says this says this really well, and you know, I, I kind of heard this first on her podcast, which is that teaching is situational, time-bound, and ever-changing, and I think the past few years have taught us anything, it's that that is exactly the, tr the, the truth. So what I loved about the Kodai method is that everything was working in those different capacities. So a, a rhythmic element, a melodic element, and we're either preparing it, pre presenting it, or in the presentation moment, we are naming what is already known. We are taking something that is unknown and making it known. We are practicing things. We Instead of saying, hey, we're going to learn something new. Instead of doing that, we're going to say, hey, this concept that we've been doing for weeks is actually called this. And as someone who has anxiety and as someone who really struggled in school with test anxiety and learning new things and figuring that, you know, feeling like I was going to mess up, I quickly latched onto the idea of letting students experience a concept before we let them know that they're learning. And in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way, we are kind of tricking them into learning. We're doing this experiential learning through games, through activities and other things to allow them to get this new content before we let them know that this is this new, brand new thing that they might not have necessarily used before. One of the main principles of Kodai-influenced music education is using the musical mother tongue of the student. And that's something that really rings true to me when I think of the student population that I serve. I have a lot of students that are either, you know, white students that are, you know, living in trailer parks, that this is, you know, their family has grown here. They, they, this is their culture. This is what they've experienced. But we also have students that are coming from Mexico, coming from South America, that, you know, their, their experience is very different from the student that might be sitting next to them. And I think it's important for us to use music from everyone's mother tongue. You know, going back to that article from the Ohio State professor talking about doors, windows, and sliding glass doors, I think it's important for us to use this folk repertoire to allow students to experience this is what this culture is in this specific sense. This is what another culture might be. This is, you know, something that you might hear if you went to France. This is something you might hear if you went to Canada. This is something you might have heard if you went to Afghanistan. And that is where I think it's really important for us to be and to allow others to be culture barriers. That's what I love about these Kodai conferences and things like that. We have people that are sharing folk songs that have been collected from all over the world and that we are able to help continue and we are able to help 
continue in the musical vernacular of our students by perpetuating this authentic music making. But that doesn't mean that Kodai is perfect. That doesn't mean Kodai-influenced teaching doesn't get a bad rap for, let's say, not super unfair reasons. There are people that think Kodai-influenced teaching is elitist, and I think that sometimes we, as Kodai-influenced teachers, sometimes do that to ourselves. I think sometimes we need to remember that music is music, and that just because it's not folk music doesn't mean it's not high quality. Just because it's not from the oral tradition doesn't mean it isn't worthwhile being preserved. And on the flip side of that, just because it is from the oral tradition doesn't mean it's something that needs to be perpetuated. I, my graduate cohort from my coded levels, we were a lot. We we probably pushed our 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 under our, our professors a little bit more than they might not might have been expecting when it comes to a lot of the responsiveness of Kodai influenced teaching. Um, thankfully, I, I really feel like the program at Capital is really starting to be aware of just what the reality of using folk music in an American context is. I mean, for instance, in my level three, we had a whole project about using problematic folk songs. You know, we talked about the um, songs with a questionable past document. We talked about, you know, why why some of these songs that we've been using come from minstrel shows, what else could we use instead? And why that's important for us to be um, just aware of where our, our folk songs are coming from. And, you know, what what are we choosing to perpetuate in our curriculums? And much to the chagrin of our <laughs> our, our professors sometimes, I feel like my, my cohort did a really good job of kind of pushing the envelope, which gives me a lot of hope for the future of Kodai-influenced teaching in America um, and in the world in general. Uh, but I think it's up for us that, up to us that do, you know, Feature, you know, figure, think that we are Kodai influenced teachers. You know, I, I personally identify as a Kodai influenced educator, but I think it's up to us to start reshifting those under those molds and try to figure out how we as teachers and we as Kodai influenced teachers can start dispelling some of these myths. How we can start implementing other things. You know, stop pretending that you know we have the answer because there is no answer. There is no one way that is right or wrong. Music education and you know highly high content and highly appropriate content knowledge for our students is such a spectrum that we can't say it's all Kodai, it's all ORF, it's all Dalcros, it's all MLT, it's all a spectrum. It's important for us to take what we learn from all these different aspects, blend them together so that we can create the music education that our students in that moment deserve. So while this episode was a lot about what Kodai music education is, I guess another topic for this would be how can we take the qualities of good music education from whatever philosophy you follow and make sure that they are truly serving our students? Because here's the deal. I haven't done my work training yet. Ten years from now, I might completely say, all right, Kodai, peace out. I'm done. But I might not. I might continue working with my Kodai levels and use that Kodai-influenced education for the rest of my career. But that doesn't mean I need to keep myself in this box of, I only use a tuning fork. We don't use instruments because that isn't what Kodai-influenced teaching is. It is impossible to sum up any philosophy of music education in one sentence. The 
the truth is everything is so incredibly nuanced that everything is constantly in flux and your situation, your experience as a teacher, as well as the, the experience of the students that you are serving is going to direct what they need and what will best serve them. So if you're sitting there listening and you're going, all right, you, you've won me over. I'll at least take a look at Kodai. I'll take a look at what it means to be a Kodai influence teacher. And you're saying, all right, what do I do next? I have a few action items for you. First, I would definitely recommend you go to the Organization of American Kodai Educators, OAKE.org, and see if you can find a, a local chapter with a workshop near you. If you're international, there's definitely some international resources out there, but I definitely think that reach out and just see if you can experience music education through a Kodai lens, especially if you haven't, because I'll be honest, when I was going through school, I never experienced music education through a Kodai lens. So I was learning it all after I was in the undergraduate in the graduate setting. Beyond that, I want you to listen to this music that your students are already listening to. See if there are, you know, specific cultures that your school serves that, you know, isn't necessarily represented in the curriculum and represented in the the repertoire you choose and see what you can do to include them. See what you can do to allow more windows into different cultures, to allow more mirrors, to allow students to experience their own culture, their own experience, and also allow students to just be aware that, there are differences in music, but that doesn't mean that music is different from one place to the next. Everything is just a little bit unique, just like everything else is, just like history is, just like how we are all unique people, but we are all still part of the human experience.